Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. They say it's the longest part of his life, and he is relatively speechless afterwards. I'm sure. And I don't think he will ever have a moment. How was Nance? Was Nance speechless? No, he was not speechless. Nance said at one point, it's one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history. And I wrote down 15 different hockey moments <laughs> and a walk-off home run by the Blue Jays. <laughs> Such a And joke. Ben Johnson <laughs> beating Carl Lewis. But I am, but okay. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Towards that point, Murray Moman in Winnipeg in Canada writes, Tony absolutely nailed it on Monday's show. While Nick Taylor's 72-foot, 6-inch eagle putt on Sunday was huge, it absolutely falls behind 15 hockey games. Ben Johnson and Joe Carter is the greatest moments in Canadian sports history discussion, although, of course, that does make it into the top 20. More exciting on Monday's show was to hear another reference to Slapshot. I wonder if he knows how big that movie is in Canada to red-blooded, beer-drinking, old-time hockey-playing people like myself. I first saw it in theaters when my dad somehow convinced someone to let him bring me his 11-year-old and two younger brothers with him to an R-rated movie. (laughs) I don't remember much about that screening other than seeing a woman's naked breast for probably the first time, but the 20-odd viewing since then means at least 20 quotes live in my brain and in the brain of my friends. Putting on the foil, who owns the Chiefs? Owns, owns. (laughs) Hails from, if I can read the card here, Moose Jaw Saskatchewan. He's about the only clean ones I can think of. Given his knowledge of Canadian sports and maybe love of Slapshot, I'd like to offer him the title of Honorary Canadian. May you never run out of poutine, maple syrup, and beer. Poutine is something they eat. Yes, on fries. Yes, it's like a gravy on fries. Yeah, I think you get it at a Tim Hortons. Yes, Tim Hortons would definitely have that for you. And Scott Swanky sent me a lovely note. You mentioned our conversation. Said I was a pretty good golfer. That was so kind. It means a lot to me. It's very, very nice of him to do that. So... Let me get to a bunch of other things here. First of all, in terms of sports, Las Vegas killed Florida. Oof. Now, Matthew Kachuk couldn't play because he has what we call a broken sternum. He's not going to be playing for a while. But they beat him 9-3. Las Vegas had three home games in which they... It's the Stanley Cup finals we're talking about. Three home games in which they outscored Florida 21-7. to These are football scores. It's just... 21 yeah. goals. Yeah, that's astonishing. What? Yeah. What? So this is in the NBA final. So, I mean, I always thought, and I think most reasonable people thought it was unfair the way the Las Vegas team was stocked at the beginning of their run. They got to the Stanley Cup finals their first or second year. They yes, lost to the very, Caps. Very quickly. You know, but they're legit. They're legit now. Uh, in other news, Pat Sajak quits. Now, he's going to do this full season. Yes. And then he's going to quit. Pat Sajak's my age, and he quit. And so I got a lot of stuff last night. When are you going to quit? When, and then they would say, I, it's not that I want you to quit, but when are you going to quit? It's fairly right, So I don't, I don't know what to do about that. Not, probably not today. Maybe tomorrow, but probably not today. Uh, other things they had parenthetically, thank God the NBA is over. Now, we well, received... Now the interesting part of the season comes along, the offseason. Yeah, we received a lot of great things in the mail the other day because Matt Williamson came over. People who send stuff to Bonnie, care of PTI, it's very, very wonderful. We received, for example, something from a new company called La Sauce, which reminds me of La Suze, which I used to write about Susan O'Malley, Susan La Suze, 30 and 40 years ago. From La Sauce, elevate your plate. A mutual friend, Tony Beeson, 
the great Tony Beeson in Cincinnati, Cincinnati yes. share, uh, shared that you enjoyed discovering new products and suggested we share our new brand with you. Our goal is to spread joy through food, and we think delicious food makes people happy. When the food is good, folks linger at the table, and the conversation extends beyond the meal. Not in this house. This feeling is what inspired us to launch La Sauce and Company and spread deliciousness, made easy everywhere. You probably know this already and appreciate that most good and great restaurants have a secret that we do not think of often. They utilize a finishing sauce to add unifying flavors, flavors bringing a plate together to its most delicious point. Use that fond. La Sauce does that, right? You like, you like finishing sauces. I love finishing sauces. So this makes sense because I got an email from Tony Beeson about this probably two months ago. Got but it. There's no follow-up, so I didn't know if I, I missed the it. boat. La Sauce does all of the work for you by chopping, simmering, and reducing, which leaves you more time to spend with your family and friends enjoying the food and conversation around the table. This is from Kyle and Lori Kirill, K-I-R-L. I hope I pronounced that right. Maybe it's Curl. I don't know. They sent eight or 10 or 12 of these things. Some of the flavors are roasted poblano and garlic, mole de Puebla, classic green peppercorn, and one Fair we used in the peppercorn sauce. I'm going to oh, eat yeah. that. One we used last night on a shrimp and rice dish: white wine, lemon, garlic. It was great. It was great. You just take it out of the package. You either put it in the microwave if you want in the package, and then later open the package or, or pour simmer. it in. Pour it into a saucepan and simmer it. Sure. It was great. I had one of them. Now, they're mostly for, for you. So you're going to take them home. Now, when I ask Michael to take things home, they stay here for two to three months. It's very personal. <laughs> they don't actually... I will take the sauce home. <laughs> okay, that's great. So no, I will... I will uh, well, I might use them this weekend when I grill over here. Okay, so there you go. Nice. From Mike Mulvihill, who is a game developer at Ravensburger, which I am told is a great game company we have a lot of their puzzles at home this is to michael mainly but tony can read it as well hi this is mike mulvihill from ravensburger north america following up with a box of that for the boys by the way just in t- their all their birthdays are within Summer the babies. next month all their birthdays birthday one of season. them is tomorrow the captain has turns one tomorrow i hope this gets to you in a timely fashion i followed the instructions from the show sent the box to bonnie um the reason you get shipments to, shipments to Chatter, it's the only address on your website. Yes, we have to update this, but you want you purposely wanted it that way to not get packages sent to you. Well, now I, I'd like it sent so to So maybe Bonnie. we should have a new address up there. <laughs> yeah, so what Mike says, I figured I'd send an assortment games we make for Michael to distribute to the age-appropriate boy for their birthday and maybe leave one or two at Tony's for the summer visits. We make games for everyone, but for the kids, we tend to be heavy into kids-specific properties. Since I couldn't remember which shows were the most watched, I had to take a guess from the most recent Michael Hints. Hopefully these work out. Let me know if there are any other specific shows the boys are into, and we could probably make a game using those characters as well. And yes, I've designed a couple of these games. Um, he said, I did not include puzzles. We make so many in so many different sizes that unless you request something specific, I didn't really know what to send. Carol says their puzzles are the best. Mm. Ravensburger puzzles and I'm much more of a of an adult family game designer so we have a whole lot of those including some fun family party games or light strategy board games if you have interest in those let me know I can get an assortment this is Ravensburger North America Michael did, did you you saw them yeah I'm seeing Spidey and his amazing friends the boys have definitely been into Spidey great soundtrack by the way uh, which is definitely for the parents of my generation uh, but no if it's a, when you get boys on the ground doing these puzzles and they're doing they are doing full, you know, 100-plus piece puzzles. It's amazing what they will start talking about when they're in the flow of puzzle building. So we also got a bunch of things. We got some mail yesterday. And Carol had said to me, this is mail that went to Bonnie. I said, what's that? About four different things. She says, oh, those are birthday cards for you. I said, what? why do you think that? 
Why do you think they're birthday cards for me? See if this sounds like a birthday card. Uh, together with their families, Diana Guzman and Justin Messineo cordially invite you to a day of celebration, Saturday, September 16th, 2023. Um, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, I guess, and then in New York City, they're getting married. Does that sound like a birthday card? That's not a birthday card. That does not sound exactly like a birthday card, no. Here's another one. Mr. and Mrs. Robert Lane joyfully invite you to the wedding of their daughter, Kellyanne Lane, to Christopher Boisvert, Saturday, July 15th, Boston, Massachusetts. Missed my birthday by a little. Just a little. Right. Then here's one from, um, together with their families, Marissa and Austin, Invite you to participate the celebration of love and marriage Saturday, the 7th of October at the Paseo in Apache Junction, Arizona. A lovely picture. Join us in the desert. Just a lovely picture. Love and marriage. And one more um, from Mia Annalise Peterson in West Jordan, Utah. She's West Jordan High School class of 2023. Please join us for a graduation celebration. This was just this past weekend, June 10th. Uh, at Archibald's restaurant in West Jordan, Utah. So I, I wanted to mention those because these were sent months ago, sometimes years ago. Sometimes, sometimes they're <laughs> actually sent years ago. Yes, but we appreciate but these, them nonetheless. No. So that's very, very. These nice. are just the ones that made it, right? Not the ones on the corner of Wisconsin and Jennifer. Where, you know, Bonnie <laughs> Waiting just at the bus stop. <laughs> Bonnie may have just dumped all these things. But I recommend La Sauce, and I'm very grateful. Um, to Mike from Ravensburger. The, and, the, yeah, gonna, the paperweight on that note from Mike. That was a heavy piece of paper. Yeah, it's very, very strong, thick paper. So you're, you'll take these yeah, I'd home say within we bring the next some two the, months? Yeah, we'll have the boys play with them over here. Okay, that would be fine. That's another way of Michael not having to take them home. <laughs> uh, well, did I, it's good for storage. Oh, here. this is a Bunyan's thing. Oh, this yes, is, we, we've gotten a few things on Bunyan's for from you. From Kyle Martineau. Although Bunyan's can be hereditary, which was the case for me, they can also be footwear-related. Wide toe box shoes and toe separators have provided me tremendous relief and corrected the bunion to the point where I no longer have any pain or inflammation. They have a brand called Correct Toes. I usually wear them at night, but they can be worn during the day. The key is finding a shoe with a wide toe box, adequate arch support, a flexible upper, a heel no taller than two inches. The brand that I personally use are Lems, L-E-M-S. This, however, will not avoid, help you avoid the, the traps. No, you got to go in the traps. <laughs> you got to do the traps, yeah. It, it is, I know that we say this a lot, but the sort of width and breadth of the knowledge of people, it's no amazing. matter what I say, somebody knows something more about it <laughs> than I know, which isn't hard because I know nothing. <laughs> but I, don't, I have not given out the email address to this show in 10 years. <laughs> it, it's, it's, what is it? This show stinks? Mailbag. Or is it, it's mailbag at TonyKornheiserShow.com. Yes. I haven't, this is the first time I've said that ever. <laughs> and everybody seems to know how to get, how do they get to us? Uh, it's, it's very Googleable, but it's, it's amazing that people are so happy to share their expertise with you. Yeah. It is. It's from but old... we need to change that address. Oh, the, the physical address. Yeah. I well, mean, if they're sending things to Chatter, Chatter doesn't exist. No, it's what, Alley Cat now? Yeah, it's nothing. They, they have something called Shwarma. Hmm. Love Shwarma. I, was, I always knew that, that location was going to be left great field. for live music. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle Shwarma, I think, well, is a left fielder Kyle now Kyle for Schwarmer. the Phillies. Kyle Shwarma. <laughs> yes. What is it, Shwarma? Carol seems to love it. Uh, it, this is going to be hard to describe to you, but uh, think of it as a kebab-like open sandwich. Uh, you'll have shaved meat often, uh, some pickled veg, sauce. Mm. Is it inside one of those things? Inside, uh, like a pita? Like a pita bread? 
Yeah, it can be. Was it? I, the best way to describe this too is just a is an open faced sandwich. Okay, so it could have any sort of bread. Uh, I, traditionally, it would have that. It would have a pita bread, but okay. I'm trying to make this accessible to you and not just call it a speedy. Oh, kind of okay. looks like a speedy. Oh, okay. What but is, it would what, have sauce and not just be on Italian white what, bread. Oh, is Italian white bread is what a speedy is served on. Yeah. Okay. With its with speedy sauce, sauce. got to have the sauce, right? Yeah. Lamb traditionally, but, but now then chicken, chicken too expensive for the lamb. It's yeah. not cheaper. I will take a break, Sally. Sally Jenkins is going to join us. She's going to t- she's got a new book, and we're going to talk about her new book, and then we're going to ask her why she hates everyone that she writes about. <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Jay Johnson has sent us some new music for his Philly-based folk rock group, Three Yards to Dover. This is called Goodbye Song, and he writes, Remember a summer love that didn't quite work out? Three Yards to Dover is a goodbye song that celebrates those feelings of hopeful nostalgia and longing, featuring James Bischoff on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, Ryan Jordan on drums, Nate Matulis on bass, Jay Johnson on guitar, ukulele, and vocal harmonies. This plays in Sally Jenkins. Sally has a new book out, and it's called The Right Call. I'm holding it in my hands. It says, What Sports Teach Us About Work and Life, Sally Jenkins. And on the top of the book, it has a blurb by Charles Duhigg, who apparently wrote something called The Power of Habit. It says, Jenkins combines the excitement of sports with the insights of self-help and reveals a new way to think about greatness. And it's very nice. But the indication to me is that Sally did not use me for a blurb, did not ask for a blurb, and did not use her father's greatest blurb of all time, Jesus Wept, Dan Jenkins. Why would you release a book without Jesus Wept, Dan Jenkins? Good morning, Mr. Tony. Good morning. I mean, why would you do that? That's the greatest... I, you know, because uh, the editor told me that the category, it's a soft business book. Oh, what's that mean? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. What is the I'm thesis thinking. of the book? The thesis of the book is that we watch these people for all the wrong reasons. We think that they're entertainers and they dazzle us. And, in fact, uh, we actually are underusing them and understudying them. That they have, uh, they're actually are pretty deeply intelligent people who make decisions. You know, everything like Jimmy Butler does on the court is actually not just some sort of intuitive, inspirational uh, deal. He's out there making micro decisions every second. Every shot is a decision, right? And um, most uh, people make decisions behind closed doors. We don't get to see how, like, Bob Iger does his work. Right. These people do stuff right in front of us, right? And so if, we're figure- if, we're- if we want to know how to make decisions under pressure, we should be watching them more closely. How did you do. come to the thesis of this? How did you come to say, this is something I want to write about? Somebody that had to come out of a conversation with someone, right? Yeah, it comes out of conversations with, like, Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer. It comes out of conversations with Michael Phelps, 
Um, it's just from talking to these people over the years, um, Bill Belichick, like basically I just wanted to write a book about decision-making under pressure because the older I get in this business, the more I decided that that's what they're really worth admiring for, you know? I mean, um, they're just as flawed as you or me in a lot of ways, but they handle pressure better than the rest of us. So that's what I really wanted to write about. I know that you, know. you talked to, I mean, two of the people whose names were out there were Peyton Manning and Steve Kerr. Yeah, um, I talked to them quite, probably as much as anybody for this book. Yeah, I would uh, tell people that when I did Monday Night Football, Peyton Manning was, I'm not going to say the smartest person, I'm not going to make that judgment, but he understood the temperature of a room better than anybody ever and adapted to it more quickly than any sports person I have ever met. And so if you asked me about his decision-making, I, I would say that there was great intellect and intuition behind it. What, we, what did you find out about Peyton? You know, one of the things that Peyton and I really talked about was the fact that he was not born, uh, you know, a Hall of Famer. Everybody thinks, okay, he's Archie Manning's yeah. kid, and so he was set up for success, you know, in ways that um, the rest of us could never be set up for success. And the fact of the matter is that by his third year in the NFL, uh, Manning's record as a quarterback was 32 and 32, and he had led the league in interceptions in two of those first three years, right? I had no idea. And, right, I had no yeah, idea. I mean, yeah. people forget that about him. And G uh, came in, and Manning basically said to me, I mean, Peyton said, you know, at that point in his career, it was sort of like, who am I going to be? Exact words. Right. And, um, you know, Dungy sat down with him, and they, um, Dungy and Jim Caldwell, the great Jim Caldwell, um, who was the quarterback's coach at the time for the Colts that Dungy brought in, they sat down and they looked at uh, tape of every single in- interception Manning had thrown. Um, and then they looked at another tape, which uh, Peyton said was kind of a more buried tape, which was tape of all the balls that he threw that should have been intercepted but weren't because he just got a little lucky. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and they look for commonalities. And, like, one of the things they figured out was uh, under pressure, his footwork wasn't so great. Like, he wasn't setting his feet the way he should. So they designed a drill, and they went out on the practice field, and they would, Caldwell and Dungy and other coaches would hurl heavy bags at Peyton's feet, right, while he was uh, practicing or doing drills and stuff to try to get his feet better. Um, so, I mean, that's just one story. And the, the point of the story that Manning told was like, look, you know, I'm a product of work. Every guy I talk to, every man or woman I talk to for this book is annoyed by the idea that somehow they were born more fortunate than you or me. Really? They so so they want you to know that it's work. It's hard yeah. work. They may have had yeah. a gift of sorts, but what separates them from their peers is the hard work. Yeah, separate. They do more things than the rest of us. They diagnose their weaknesses. They admit their weaknesses. They're more candid about uh, their weaknesses, and they 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 aren't born making great decisions under pressure, making the right move under pressure. They they work and work and work at it, but they work at it in a really highly methodical way. And so, what I wanted to do was go, okay, what does Peyton Manning do that Laird Hamilton also does? in the ocean when he's thinking about whether or not to take an 80-foot wave. You know, what does Diana Nyad do um, when she's um, swimming from Cuba to Florida um, that's the same as, like, Tom Brady does or, um, you know, Andy Reid does? So what, what are the commonalities? What are the methods that they share and that all these people agree on? Hmm. Because, 
you know, after 30 years of doing this, I could hear that a lot of these people talk about the same things. So I just, I looked for those intersections and I wrote them down and then, and then dug in and wrote a chapter about each of them. It's called The Right Call. Was there anybody, Sally, who wouldn't talk to you? Well, there's people I couldn't reach, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've only talked to Tom Brady, like, fleetingly over the years. I've written a lot about him, but, like, I couldn't get him for a sit-down. Right. Um, you know, he's pretty elusive. He doesn't do a whole lot of that. So, um, and a lot of these people I talked to over the course of just doing stuff for the Washington Post. Um, but, uh, but Steve Kerr was uh, just, had just finished the worst season um, of his career as a coach, They'd been the Warriors had been so injured and um, they were out of the playoffs. They weren't, you know, going anywhere near the playoffs, and it was COVID, and uh, he had time to talk on the phone. So I got a little lucky with Steve Kerr. Uh, He's really got, smart. Steve yeah, Kerr's really smart. smart. Yeah, I mean, I the, the two people I was really happy to get uh, directly for the book were Steve Kerr and and Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. Tommy Amaker, the Harvard basketball coach, was great. I talked to him for a long time. Tony Dungy was great. I talked to him for a long time. Um, you know, there, there's some really good, interesting people in the book that, well, fortunately, you know. We'll try to sell that. you some books. It's called well, The Right thank you, Call. Mr. Tony. But I got to yeah. wait. I got to move off this for a second. Okay. Just I haven't gotten to anybody you hate yet, which is highly unusual. We haven't gotten to Dan Snyder. We haven't gotten to Saudi Tour golfers. We haven't gotten to the IOC. We haven't gotten to all the things that you destroy on a regular basis. Now wait, I don't hate those people. I just shame them. Okay, okay. So Richard Blumenthal, and and he, who's a senator from Connecticut, and I don't want people to be awestruck by this when I, you know, say, oh, a senator from Connecticut is looking into the merger between the two golf tours. This is a guy who claimed to be a soldier in Vietnam and said, yeah, I misremembered. No, no, nobody misremembers being in Vietnam. That's not how it works. So I'm not attaching to him any sainthood, but he is, he is talking publicly. All mergers and acquisitions are investigated by some government agencies, but it doesn't usually rise to the Senate of the United States. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, he has subpoena power, and that has got to make the PGA and live people very, very uncomfortable because one of the reasons they're doing this skunky deal in the first place is because they don't want discovery in the litigation they both have been playing chicken over. Right. Um, and so, so one of the things this does, and by the way, Blumenthal, whatever you think of him, Blumenthal also was one of the guys who refused to let the USOC off the hook for the Larry Nazar stuff. Okay, that's a good mark for him. That is. Yeah, yes. I mean, he's actually done this with sports a couple of times when it looks like people are, you know, playing rope-a-dope uh, or trying to duck uh, accountability. He's actually come in on a couple of important occasions and, and made life fairly miserable for people. So that's good. <laughs> well, maybe I got this wrong on Vietnam, but I don't think so. I think that was part of his. Somebody will look it up for me. I'll apologize if I'm wrong, but I did think that that happened at one point. Um, let me, let me pose this question to you, because Wilbon yeah. and I went back and forth. Wilbon doesn't care at all, doesn't think it's a story at all, doesn't think two separate tours, doesn't think taking money from Saudi Arabia is meaningful at all, not in the slightest. That is his position. And so I asked him this, and I would ask you this. Golf's not that important. What if China wanted to buy the NBA? Do you think the United States would allow that to happen, Sal? Well, here's why it's important. I disagree with, I love Mike Wilbon like a brother, but I, I disagree with him for one major reason, which is this. This is a playbook by these countries, okay? Sports washing, 
it doesn't matter just because, oh, you know, sports fans are going to go goo-goo-ga-ga and start drooling over athletes and forget about your sins. It matters because it's a method of entangling uh, the global economy and the American economy in ways that will then compromise the American government's ability or the State Department's ability to draw red lines, right, and challenge their behavior. That's why it matters. Um, China gets involved in the Olympics as heavily as they do to make it tougher for Western countries to crack down on their uh, behavior on the international stage, right? They want to compromise people. Um, It's not just about fostering amnesia. So that's my issue with it. Uh, Look, you know, Uber uh, has big Saudi investment, right? I take Ubers all the time. You know, you can't dodge... It's impossible to say I'm going to live my life without a dime of Saudi money. Right. Good luck. Good luck with that. Right. That's not going to happen. But that's entirely different from a group of golfers taking their pay directly from a guy who murdered an American journalist. Right. You don't have to take money directly from the Saudis, um, especially if you understand, if you're smart enough to understand that the reason they're doing this in the first place is to uh, wash away the blood of that crime. So that's my issue with it. What is... Phil, yeah, Phil because they own it now, right? The they yeah, are, well, he, they're the investment is, in golf now. They own American is, golf. This, yeah, this is a, uh, it's being handled by mergers and acquisitions people because it's an acquisition yeah. and a merger, yes, right? Yes. It's a sale. And the people who are dealing with this, Jimmy Dunn and uh, a British banker named Amanda Stavely, here's what will happen, and this is why Phil Mickelson is dumb, okay? He thinks he got self-determination. Phil Mickelson and, and the Live players and the PGA players have zero self-determination from now on because one of the things that Amanda Stavely, the British banker, got when she helped the Saudis buy the Newcastle football club, she got 10% of the club as her commission, right? Wow. Golf is going to be owned by about four people who can tell them what they can wear on their sleeves and where they have to play. That's, yeah, I have more troubles with it than Mike does. I have It's just, you know, it's not going to be good for golf. It's, it's going to make, I mean, it's just going to be gross, okay? Do you, it's, think it's that a, gross that, do you think a live tour will still exist in some form? Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah. if, if uh, the Saudis want it to exist, of course it will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, like, what makes anybody think the PGA Tour won on this deal? The Saudis are going to be the sole investor in this new golf entity, and uh, Al Ramayan is going to be uh, the chair of the board of the new committee. He's also going to sit on the PGA Tour policy board. What, what makes anybody think, when they're paying all this money, that that's going to be a passive thing? Right. That's the part that I wonder about. If, if somebody is sitting at the end of the table with me and every single thing in the room is bought by him and paid for by him and he stands up and says, this is what I'd like. How many of us are going to stand up and say, oh, sorry, pal, we're not doing that. Well, right? how many oh. renters are in how many renters are in charge of the home that someone else owns? I mean, it's that simple. Few. Like this is the landlord, yeah. right? These are the landlords now of golf. Thank you, Sally. Sally's book is called The Right Call, What Sports Teach Us About Work and Life. Thanks, Sal. Enjoyed it, Mr. Tony. Thank you. Sally Jenkins, boys and girls. We will come back. We'll go all the way to Los Angeles. We'll come back with Steve Sands. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Three Yards to Dover. This is sent to us by Jay Johnson, who's on the recordings. This is a song called Wildfire. Now, I think of Wildfire, that ballad by Michael Martin Murphy. Was that who did Wildfire? Well, I'm not familiar About with the that horse, song. Wildfire. Yeah. I'll have to look that yeah. up. This is features, this version of Wildfire features James Bischoff on guitar and vocals, Ryan Jordan on drums, Nate Matulis on bass, and Jay Johnson on guitars and piano. These were recorded at Gradwell House in Haddon Heights, New Jersey. So that's nice. Michael, if people like Three Yards to Dover want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Plays in Steve Sands, who's going to talk to us about the United States Open at the Los Angeles Country Club, which both Michael and I have played. Um, as I remember it being very, very hot, very, very long, very much beyond me. What are your thoughts? What do you remember? Uh, very much a fragmented golf course as you make your way through these little uh, hills that make it feel very, very small against the backdrop of Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles golf is... And the mansions. Yeah, great fun. I mean, if you can play Riviera or Bel Air or... Los Angeles Country Club or Brentwood or Hillcrest. I mean, some of the views, right, Steve? Some of the views are incredible. You get up on a, on a, on a ridge and you, you, you see for looks forever, right? There's no place like it. I mean, Los Angeles is great anyway. Yeah. Um, but Los Angeles golf. I, everybody talks about Chicago golf and New York golf. L.A. golf is really, really strong. I mean, if I ran a television network, I would every major I could I'd put on the West Coast because I'm going to get the East Coast audience till ten o'clock at night. You have to be, and plus it's they're all scenically beautiful and different from what you're used to in the East. Am I right on this? Shouldn't they all do this? Oh, it's. I mean, we have had the. I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of being at, at NBC for for a long time, and we had the U.S. Open forever, and then we lost it to Fox, and then we got it back. And I remember when we used to have it on a regular basis, our management, our people, our brass used to go to the USGA and want a West Coast U.S. Open all the time because we could pump it into prime time on Saturday and Sunday. On this Saturday, we go on NBC to 11 p.m. Eastern, and on Sunday, the finish is at 10 p.m. Eastern. If there's a playoff, it'll go you know, later than that because it's a two-hole playoff. So a prime time East Coast audience for a West Coast U.S. Open is is a great recipe for a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, I'm tired of Wilbon talking about, you know, how he hates I-95. Now, people need to understand that the first two time zones in America, from the Mississippi River eastward, contain about 70% of the people in America. So if you want to get ratings, serve those 70% of the people, right? Isn't that what you should do? Tell Wilbon the reason they say on TV... 8 Eastern, 7 Central, <laughs> because most of the people live right. on those two yeah. time zones. Just love, lo- love Wilbon. But. Yeah, but that's lunacy. All right, it's Los Angeles. Where are you staying and where are you going to eat? Does the important oh, stuff. Oh, you're happy. 
I'm in an incredibly dark hotel room right now yeah. uh, at the hour that you decided to have your show taped. Well, uh, certainly, I know. Two, two robes, the SLS in Beverly Hills. Oh, hey now. Okay. Um, very, very nice. Very, very nice. I think my room is larger than the first apartment I lived in <laughs> out of college. Um, it's, it's pretty wild. It's good. You'd, you'd really approve. Do you have dinner plans? A lot of, plans? Plans, a lot of stuff. Are you, you going to go to Toscana with Uncle Big Al? I mean, what do you do? You know what's, you know what's so funny? I texted Uncle Al last week about that. Um, <laughs> you got you to gotta love Uncle Al. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's the greatest. Uh, but he's a Bel Air guy. He's not yep. an LACC. I know you and you and you and Uncle Al could not be members at LACC. I know we're in the wrong business. Celebrities at LACC. <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's right. They do not allow celebrities there. Um, where are we going to dinner tonight? We're going somewhere in Venice tonight. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants in the whole world called Jelena. Okay. J G G J E L I N A Jelena on Abbott Kinney in Venice, and then uh, then we'll hunker down for the U.S. Open and, and be here late at the course. So. Uh, tonight's the last uh, dinner we'll go to. All right, so let, let's get to the big news that happened yesterday. We, we had a, the third story in the A block of the PTI show was scheduled to be sort of a post-mortem on Miami. You know, and I'm right. just sort of bored with the NBA at some point. And then luckily, Brooks Kepka sat down in front of a few microphones and, and he said it was his intention to try and get double-digit majors. He said, I'm only 33. I think I've got a shot at this. Uh, I immediately uh, said I would bet the under. I mean, we put it right into the show. But Brooks Kepka's got five. He's got five, which is really a lot. What were your thoughts about what Kepka said, and what was the reaction to it? Oh, the reaction was, you know, the normal Brooks Kepka reaction. Remember, he's the same guy, Tony, who said that he thought major championships were easier to win than regular PGA Tour events because yeah. you could whittle down the field to those who had the stones to actually – get across the finish line in these things. So, you know, the reaction yesterday was not a roll of the eyes, but it was, hey, listen, who's going to say no to Brooks Kepka right now? I mean, you don't think he's the favorite coming in this week? You're nuts. I mean, there are other people who have great chances to win, but Kepka's right there in the top three, four, five as far as picks this week. And he's just one of those guys, Tony, who when the stakes get higher, he seems to rise to the level. Now, he did have that little stretch. Well, Rom beat his brains out in Augusta. Yeah, well, then he beat everybody's brains out in the next major That's right. championship. That's right. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, he had a very bad, he learned a valuable lesson at Augusta, and I find that fascinating. I mean, after all the years he's been playing and all the majors he's won, he went to the Masters for the first time with that lead and played not to lose. He didn't play to win, and he recognized it, got better, and then literally the next major, four weeks later, he went and just, not that he was dominant, but he, he was there the whole week. And he's so good in these big events, Tony. He just He's just so tough. I would not put it past him to pile up a few more of these. Really? A few more? A few more in my mind is at least two and maybe three, which would get him to seven or eight? And that's all time. Yeah. That's all time, that's right? All, it's all time. But he's going to have one of those inverted resumes, Tony. He's not going to have... 45 wins in six majors. He's not going to have 60-something wins in seven majors. Right. He's probably going to have seven, eight majors and, like, you know, four other wins. <laughs> it's it's just it's a strange one. It, it's very, very strange in this sport to have someone be able to do it. Remember remember that line I told you before. Uh, Jack Nicholas told me one time, you can't find your game at a major. You have to bring your game to a major. Mm-hmm. 
But mm-hmm. Kepka defies that, Tony. Yeah. He doesn't play a lot of tournament golf. He doesn't grind all day, every day for tournament play. He works for these four weeks a year, and, man, does he step up. I mean, he's got five ma- majors. Mickelson has six. Tiger has his 15. Since 1997, those are the three. Tiger, all-time. Phil, all-time. And Kepka with his five. I mean, it's he wins this week. He, he matches Mickelson and Faldo for their whole career. That's some stout company there. So I don't know who puts the groups together, who does that. U- the but, USGA does, yeah. Well, they got McElroy and Kepka, And that is, yeah. if I had to pick one word for that, that word would be provocative, would it not? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't think about it when they first came out a couple days ago. Uh, and then the more I dove into looking at you know, how they go about doing things. They, they do it all the time uh, at major championships, put people together. It's kind of like the NCAA tournament. They like that second-round matchup or maybe that potential sweet 16 yes. matchup that's yes. somewhat juicy with coaches or schools or rivalries, that kind of thing. Um, that's how it works in golf, too. And for sure, uh, the Kepka-McElroy thing had a little bit to it. And remember, this is the first major that's been played in a year since the announcement that they're going to be coming together. Um, so they were allowed to play with it perhaps more than the first two majors this year, the PGA and the, and the, and the Masters, Masters, where they kind of stayed away from it, Tony. And in this case, they clearly did not stay away from it because those two are, are prominent figures uh, in the world of both those tours. McElroy is trending the wrong way, Steve. He's, mm, he's, he he, it's, there's something larger wrong here than his golf game, I think. I, I wonder if he... It's totally speculative on my part because I really enjoy listening to him, and I think he's very reasonable and quite smart. But I wonder if he thinks it was a mistake to get out in front on all of these things. Oh, I think that he would recognize publicly and privately. Uh, I had a long chat with him last week um, at the RBC Canadian Open. And, yeah, for sure, Tony, he knows it's time to worry about two things, his game and his life, and that's it. Let the business people, let the course run itself as far as where the tour is going to end up and how this is all going to play out. But for him, you know, he's given up a lot of time and effort to this thing. And you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody, even himself, who who wouldn't say that it didn't have an effect on his game. I, I think that he will be much better served, especially think about what's coming up here, Tony. The U.S. Open this week, And then you have the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool in four weeks uh, over in England where he won his Claret Jug. And you have the FedEx Cup playoffs. Then you have the Ryder Cup in September. He has some monster events coming up here in the next three, three and a half months. And he needs to get his game right. And right now, it's not correct. And I think one of the reasons is because he was concentrating so much on all the business items that go along with golf and not just his own golf game. I think he'll be much better served taking a half step back and just playing some golf. Do you expect all the players to be collegial? Do you expect the players from the different tours to be collegial at this event? Uh, this week? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they'll be fine. It's okay. golf, Tony. This isn't hockey. They're not, nobody's nobody's going to be poke-checking anybody into the boards here. Right. Um, it's, yeah, I, I would think it'd be okay. I mean, maybe there's a couple of personalities that might not get along so well. It's a good thing that Rory is with Brooks and not with Phil. Um, but 
you know, after all the things that Phil has said in the last year, year and a half, especially recently yes. uh, about McElroy. But, no, nah, I, th- I think everybody will be okay. By the way, you mentioned the Canadian Open. How exciting oh. was that? I mean, that was just I, tremendous. I listened, to your, I listened to your show, and I also watched it on uh, the podcast, and I also watched uh, you guys on PTI. That finish, holy cow, was it loud. Uh, Nick Taylor um, came up big. I ran into Tommy Fleetwood last night, by the way. I had not seen him since Sunday. And I looked at him. He smiled. I smiled. And I said, come here. I just gave him a hug. I'm so sorry, man. And he laughed. He was like, listen, first of all, he deserved it. He earned it. Second of all, he said, I had my chances and I didn't win. And uh, he goes, it's going to happen. He goes, it's going to happen soon. I think Tommy Fleetwood has a chance this week. Nick Taylor, by the way, does not. I I saw something last week. I couldn't believe it. You know the par three contest at, at Augusta, right? Yes. So the par three contest has never been won. And then that person gone on to win the Masters. Never in the history of the Masters has the guy who won the Part 3 contest won the green jacket. Since the Masters came in in 1934, Tom, 1934, no one has ever won the PGA Tour event the week prior to the U.S. Open and then won the U.S. Open. It's happened at the other three majors, but it's never happened at the U.S. Open. So you can cross Nick Taylor off the list. And I was telling Tommy that last night, and he's like, hmm, good to know. Still would like to win, though. <laughs> he has the greatest nickname in history, Fairway I Jesus. I heard you say that. It made me laugh. I heard you, I, was it on yesterday's podcast or the day before? I don't know. I forget. I heard you say that on the podcast, and I laughed out loud. <laughs> Listen, do you remember in France when he played with Molinari? Yeah, uh, the Ryder, Ryder Cup. Cup. The Ryder Cup. And they went 5-0. and oh, All right. All right. They went 5-0. and oh. okay, though Both of them won their matches together and then single uh, on so singles on Sunday. And it was just hysterical, you know, watching them carry around Tommy Fleetwood after they won the Ryder Cup, and everybody kept calling him Fairway Jesus. They were yelling, Fairway Jesus. Just, you know, that so kind of thing. Great. It was great. Yeah, he's, he's a really, really nice guy, uh, Tony. You would really like him. That's he's nice. That's, he's, he's that's good to know. You, you would like him. Yeah. Um, so does Los Angeles Country Club pr- – present any particular challenge to any certain type of player and if you and if you like Kepka do you like anyone else as well by the way I'll tell you the biggest challenge is trying to find Greg Garcia we're supposed to go to dinner this week. how great is that <laughs> how great, how great is maybe that? he'll bring Bargazzi and make you laugh the whole time well, yeah. I'm thinking Melissa Etheridge and the dog that's, that's oh, right and the dog I yeah. mean Garcia at dinner I'm gonna laugh my ass off the whole time. <laughs> um, the golf course poses challenges uh, to just about everybody, Tony. I think there's going to be low scoring here. The exact same line in Vegas for the over-under, uh, eight-and-a-half or nine under par is the total. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a member here yesterday. He thought four to six under if the wind kicked up. It's supposed to be a little bit of wind in the afternoon, which I think will be tricky. The fairways, when you watch the next four days, are incredibly wide here. So it, it doesn't really look like a traditional, Wilbon's going to hate this line, East Coast. Oh, yeah. Uh, tree line, thick, rough, right. uh, U.S. Open. But the short game is going to be uh, the key here, in my opinion. Uh, the fairways are so wide, I don't think that's going to pose much of a challenge. If you miss the fairway here, it's not good. Uh, the rough is going to kill you here. Um, but, you know, there are five par threes, Tony. One of them could be 78 yards. One of them could be 290 yards. Wow. And... I've been told by players that the 15th hole, which is 
as short as 78 holes, it's a little dinky hole, could play a stroke average anyway, could play higher than the 290-yard par 3 because it's that much more difficult if you miss the green at 15. So you got to hit greens here. Um, I think second shots are going to be huge. Uh, and also, you know, when you do miss the greens, which you will at a U.S. Open, you know, how do you handle the rough here? How do you handle um, the, the thick, nasty rough around these greens? All the bunkering around these greens, there are 36 of them around the greens. Uh, it's going to pose a, an immense challenge in the short game area, uh, which is the reason. I don't know if you can ask me who I like, which is the reason. Yeah. I think I think Cam Smith is going to win this week. Uh, Cam Smith is the reigning Open champion from St. Andrews. His short game is incredible. His game is on the rise, which means, like Jack has said, he's bringing his right, game to right, this major, not right. finding it. I think the short game is going to be huge uh, this week, and I think Cam Smith is going to have that on display. Thank you, Steve. Enjoy yourself out there. Appreciate it, and give our best to Greg and Uncle Big Al if you see him. Thank you. <laughs> I hope I run into Uncle Al. Uncle Al but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but he is a legend. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Sands, boys and girls. Uh, we will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. That is 17-year-old Ruby Grace. What instrument do you think that is? I, I think that's a saxophone, isn't it? I, w- it's, I don't think it's deep enough to be a saxophone. I would have said it was a clarinet. Could be clarinet. Yeah, it had a bit of a recorder to it. Could have, that, so you think it's a recorder? Probably clarinet. Sounded more like clarinet. It was not an oboe. <laughs> it was <laughs> not an oboe. No, you want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad, please? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. And before we get to the mailbag, let me just say now, roll them cases out and lift them up those amps. Hold those trusses down and get them up those ramps, because when it comes to moving me, you know you guys are the champs. But when that last guitar has been packed away, you know I still want to play. So just make sure you got it all set to go before you come for my piano. That is Jackson Brown. That is a song called The Loadout that is followed by a version, a haunting version of the song Stay. Yeah. If I am correct on this, that was recorded live at uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion in the 1970s, early 1970s. Yes, you are correct. Uh, it's just wonderful. <laughs> it's just—it's absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, it—it—it it, it, it speaks to you know, it speaks to what happens after you're gone from a concert and how everything is packed away, and then people get on a bus and they're a thousand miles away. While you wake up tomorrow in you know your hometown. They're a thousand miles away, and he goes Chicago, Detroit. Detroit. I don't know. I don't know. We do so many, many shows, shows in, in a row. row. It's yeah. a wonderful song. Thanks to our guests, Sally Jenkins and Steve Sands. Thanks to our sponsors today, ZipRecruiter, HelloFresh, Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Joe Pearson in Indianapolis, who writes himself, and I appreciate this very much, who emails us often, so I don't have to say it because it's written in the script. <laughs> the close of Friday's PTI. Last Friday's PTI was one for the ages. Tony, happy birthday, Carol. Mike, oh, happy birthday, Carol. Tony, I got her a tomato plant. <laughs> That's gold, Jerry. That's gold. Well done, Grandpa. Loved it. Um, from Matthew Welge in Naperville, Illinois, spotting an older car at a stoplight. Me. That's a Landau roof. My daughter, how do you know that? Me, because I'm a little... 
daughter, what? <laughs> me, I listen to Tony Kornheiser's show. It's a sports pat- podcast. Daughter, that makes no sense. Me, I know. <laughs> Thanks for the laugh. Like she gets it. From yeah, Jim Hickey does. in Springfield, Virginia. Long time little from the style section days. Love the Dan Byrne tribute to Pat Riley. But he left out a college championship game, played just down the road in College Park, Maryland. Riley and Louis Dampier led Kentucky with 19 points each in the most important basketball game ever played. They may have led Kentucky, but Texas Western won that game. And yes. it is, from a sociological and historical standpoint, the most important college basketball game ever played. And if you ask Pat Riley about that, he will affirm that because I've done it. From Len Rubin, greetings from the east end of Long Island, where I continue to experience great joy on the links of Montauk Downs, and where you, of course, have a standing invitation to join me for a round or two. A little late on the Sky Bars discussion, but I just wanted to let you know that they are available at the greatest candy store in the United States, maybe the world, Economy Candy, a wonderful place on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. They specialize in stocking many of the candies we grew up with. They do mail order, but a trip to the premises is a very special treat. If I'd like to know about this place. Would you like if somebody some Sky would Bars? tell me about it, the Economy Candy. I'd Googling? Actually, hmm? Googling. Yeah, I'd like to know about it. From Aaron in Silver Spring. You can't hear anymore. You can't? No, you can't. No, I can't. I need hearing aids. From Aaron in Silver Spring, Maryland, a loyal little since AM 980. It's a long time ago. Going back, yeah. About Peter Luger. Yes, their steaks are that good. Any cut with one or two pieces of their extra thick slices of grilled bacon and the wedge salad. That's it. That's the list. That is the hole in my dining resume. I mean, that's the big one for me. I've never been to Peter Luger's. You have. Did you have have the wedge? Yeah. I mean, you have to get the, You have to start the uh, the thick sliced bacon. So it's just so. In other words, you go to Peter Luger like you used to be able to go to Joe Stonecrab in the old days, where yeah. the waiter would come over and he would tell you exactly what you wanted. Right? And yeah. Go, yeah. They serve for yeah. you, sure. But yeah. it's the experience. Yeah. It's the it's the wait at the front bar. It's the it's the crowd. It's the noise. Yeah. Uh, back in middle school, I invited a Canadian girlfriend to separate myself from the other twitching lonely hearts in sixth grade. We met at camp. I saw it. He, he, I invented a Canadian oh, girlfriend. I'm not invited. I invented. <laughs> I sighed, she's so pretty. We'd talk and laugh and make out before swim class, but my friends called me on it almost immediately, so I had to kill her off. <laughs> Send her to England with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. She can't come at Christmas. Her grandmother's dying from a shark bite or something. And so I won't get to introduce you to all to her. See how inconsolable I am? I added inconsolably, but I didn't forget her. I like to think my imaginary Canadian girlfriend went on to get imaginary straight A's from her imaginary high school and study art history with a minor in economics at imaginary McGill, all the while never forgetting her imaginary summer love. She'd marry, of course, but to an imaginary man whose handsomeness belied his lack of belief in her imaginary dreams. Dreams to make imaginary Canadian candy bars. But she'd show him her dedication and vision restored defunct imaginary candy to the great white north. And in time, those dreams would take her southward, across the border, to the land of her unforgotten imaginary romance that butted behind archery targets in the dining hall. There, (laughs) there she would dominate the imaginary candy trade of all America. Yes, she'd show him. She'd show them all. So to Crystal, the Canadienne who is bringing the Reggie bar back from inconsequence, if not imagination, I'd like to say, I've missed you too. <laughs> Straightening the frame on my imaginary degree from Harvard, because at this point, why not? I am Hampton Nagel. He is great. <laughs> it's been that. years. He's yes. come back to us. Yes. It's been years. We love him. From Gordy in San Diego, California. Before we get too far ahead on Delaney Irving's performance in the Cooper's Hill cheese roll, do you know what her buyer speed figure was? <laughs> and what was her cheese of choice, assuming we can use the code for a wedge of that? at La Cheeserie <laughs> from Elliot Olshansky. In his email on Wednesday's show, Chris the Therapist quoted the old Tootsie Pop commercial 
when he mused about a possible Azores to Utah pipeline and said the world may never know. Well, I don't know about the Azores, but I can shed some light on the Tootsie Pop question. Mm. While you may use Alexa to set timers for grilling, I found that it can be great fun to ask her questions like, what is the meaning of life? How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck chuck good chuck wood? And yes, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? While Alexa often says she's never made it without biting and suggests asking Mr. Owl, she also offers the real answer. A group of Purdue University engineering students averaged 252 licks to get to the center. You have to keep rotating. Who yeah, cares? Yes, I think so. You can't, you can't yes. just go straight on from no. one side to another. Rotation is Who key. cares about being upset by Fairleigh Dickinson when your university produces this kind of information for life? <laughs> Best regards from Suffolk County, where I would also like to ask Alexa, how many lows would Rob Lowe rob if Rob Lowe could rob lows? <laughs> from Alex Marino in Linwood, New Jersey. You think Trader Joe's parking lots are bad? You ever try navigating a Wawa parking lot on July 4th weekend down the Jersey Shore? And he goes, yeah, Linwood. I met Elizabeth and Ron about a year ago. Ron went to high school with my sister. By the way, tell Joe Lenardi to go over the 9th Street Bridge to Summers Point to get the best bagel in South Jersey at Hot Bagels and More. It's a brilliant, brilliant email from Alex Marino in Linwood, New Jersey. Um, From uh, Nicholas... Vamvas, who signs his name highly suspicious in Albany, New York. You know, at what point do we learn that DG is actually an advanced AI chatbot named ChatDGPT? <laughs> All of his emails are exactly the type of anecdote that Tony will enjoy. It's like some engineer at Google or Microsoft fed the many years of Tony's yapping into a program that spits out a couple of emails every week with stories that will pique the good doctor's interest. Regards. Um, <laughs> Lee Gordon, who signs Chuck and Roxy episode 80, West Hartford, Connecticut, and Boynton Beach. He says it is understand. Remember when we had the jazz guy who pronounced garage, garage? Oh, yes. Says oh, it's garage, understandable yes. that a professor of jazz would pronounce garage the way he does. With syllables, as with notes, as any jazz expert will tell you, the most important ones are the ones you don't play. Hmm. And from Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Just returned from an annual high school buddies get together at a lake in Minnesota. Two cabins, three bathrooms, Zero broken toilet seats. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Oh, Teddy, did you get my friend request? Oh, I'll have to check. I'm just someone sitting here alone Thinking about what you said, what I did wrong But realize that sometimes I think too long just be someone sitting alone Moving on Should be moving on And maybe we weren't right for each other Summarize was a lady. 
find the words to say all my life. Never seen a beauty like you, so I swallow my pride. Advance across the more